Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 68, my God and my King. Scholars often refer to this psalm as the most difficult of the psalms. It has to do, it is, let me put it this way. It has been generally agreed through the centuries that this psalm has to do with taking the Ark of the Covenant up to the mountain, up to the place where the temple will be built. You may remember the you know, Second Samuel, uh, Samuel 6. It's, you know, God, people died because they tried to steady the thing when it shook and it was kind of an adventure um, to get the Ark of the Covenant to the place where it would be. So this is the trek, according to most who have studied the psalm since the days of the rabbis before Christ. The psalm that has to do with the taking. And, and the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. That's how they see it. Um, David referred to the Ark of the Covenant as the name. That was his name for Messiah. He didn't know what Messiah's name would be. Various, uh, on his deathbed, Jacob, uh, Israel, called Messiah Shiloh, Shiloh, called him Shiloh. He was called in the earliest time the seed of woman. So there have been various names ascribed to Messiah who was seen in the minds of devout Israelites as the very one who's the presence of God. So this is the Ark of the Covenant. I will accept it. I've studied it, looked at it a lot, and I, I can see, and I would go along with those who were closer to the time uh, and how they, how they viewed the psalm. My God and my King. So there's various stanzas here in this psalm. We will look at them. What do you think of if you're in the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God is being transported and you are, you are in the entourage. You're, you're someone who is there, namely King David, the, the psalmist. And it's being taken to what will be the Temple Mount. What do you think of when you think of God? Various thoughts here are given. And the first thing that the psalmist writes about is in thinking of the presence of God, a call for judgment. Sin, of course, cannot exist in the presence of God. It's either redeemed and atoned for, or it's judged and punished and destroyed. So here we go. For the conductor, a psalm, a song of David, may Elohim rise. Now he uses the term for God, the name for God, Mostly the term Elohim in this because the first reference to God, of course, is Elohim in Genesis. And it is the all-encompassing 
name for God that speaks of God. It speaks of creator God. It speaks of the God of the beginning and the God of judgment and the God of all things. And so he uses this term more than any other term for the name of God in this particular Psalm. May Elohim rise. So they're lifting the ark. His enemies scatter and those who hate him flee from before him. As smoke is driven away, you will drive them away. As wax melts before fire, the wicked will perish from before Elohim. And the righteous will rejoice, yea, they will exult before Elohim and they will delight with joy. So there's a, in the, what do you think of? Well, if, if the first or one of the thoughts, and in this case, the first thought is the thought of judgment being in the presence of God, then in that judgment, you think of a separation. You think of those who are righteous and those who are not. Here, he declares, inspired by God, that God indeed, not just through history, but ultimately and finally will scatter all of his enemies and they will all, all of those who have rejected him will flee from before him and they will be almost as nothing in, uh, in his presence. The wicked will perish from before Elohim, but the righteous, the righteous are happy and they rejoice in the presence of Elohim and everything about Elohim and everything about being in the presence of Elohim is joyful and wonderful. Well, an, another natural, and this is the next stanza, another natural response or thought, if one considers himself in the presence of God, as in the case of the Ark of the Covenant, is a call for praise. How can you be in the presence of God without offering praise? Sing to Elohim, sing praises to his name. Praise him who rides in Aravot by his name Yah. Now that's the shortened name for Yahweh. And it's seen a few times in the Psalms. And rejoice before him. The name of Yah can have, in a, especially in a musical sense, can have uh, a command with regard to Yah, a declaration or a description for example, hallelujah. Um, and thus, thus it's written here in this stanza. The father of orphans, judge of widows, Elohim in his holy dwelling place. So in, in thinking of the praise that you would naturally call for in the presence of God, one of the things he is praised for is his compassion. He is compassionate to those who can't take care of themselves. So he is praised for that in verse, it's my verse six, your, yours may be verse five. Elohim settles the solitary in a house. He take, in other words, the lonely, uh, those who aren't as, uh, who aren't as settled in a populous place. He settles the solitary in a house. He takes the prisoners out at the most opportune time, but the rebellious dwell 
in an arid land. Again, the praise is to Elohim, the great God, because of his compassion and because within himself he has compassion and consideration for his own. And then by contrast, there are those who are the rebellious. Some are taken and they dwell in a good place, but the others are left to dwell in an arid land. The psalmist in this stanza then teaches us, this is praiseworthy, that God would bring his own to himself and that he provides for us the righteousness that we need. Now, this is an Israelite thing, taking the Ark of the Covenant to the Mount. So naturally, in the presence of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there would also be reflection on the history of how God had actually helped the people uh, through, their, uh, through their desperate times in the past. Here, guidance through uh, the wilderness. Elohim, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness forever, that's Selah. So the, 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 the better word is Selah here um, to think of, to reflect on it because it's a thing that ever applies to the people. It's a complicated kind of word, but Selah. The earth quaked, even the heavens dripped. This is Sinai because of Elohim, the God of Israel, Israel. Generous rain you poured down, Elohim, your heritage, which was weary, you established. Your congregation, in other words, those who otherwise have a hard time, God strengthens them, he establishes them. Your congregation dwelt therein, you prepare with your goodness for the poor, Elohim. Guidance through the wilderness, the wilderness journey, they didn't have that much, but what they had lasted them for those 40 years. Yahweh saw to it. How would they eat? Yahweh provided manna, manna and then he would provide the birds at a certain time. The rock was struck and he provided water and, and the water followed them all the way to the land. Even though to the other nations around, the people may have seemed impoverished, they had what they needed. It was provided by God. What else could they want? And so he is to, he is to certainly be remembered for his goodness and even his goodness for his people. And his goodness was extended to them even when they were in their worst times. Also in their history, they would reflect upon, now this is the time of David and they're carrying the ark. They would reflect upon the victories that God had given Israel over the kings of the nations. Adonai now uses another word, Adonai. We've already seen Elohim and we've seen Yah, which is Yahweh. And now Adonai, which is master. Yah is, is the covenant name. It is the personal name of God for his people. It's the covenant name. It's the name 
that is God to his people and that's how his people recognize. He's the Yahweh of the covenant. Yah or Yahweh of the covenant. Here, he is the master provider. He is the sustainer. He is Adonai. He is master. Adonai will give out a word and they will announce it to a great multitude. Kings of hosts will wander. Yes, they will wander. And she who dwells in the house will divide the spoils. Generally, this is agreed upon as a reference to Deborah and Barach, but Deborah, who was one of the lead, one of the judges who led in a, in a great military campaign, a great victory for Israel in the time of uh, the judges. So God could even raise up a woman in those days and uh, use, use her, strengthen her, give her the spirit that she needed, and she would be used even in a time of warfare and be used to divide the spoils, especially in a time when the people were so impoverished as they were in the time of the judges. They were so oppressed in the time of the judges. Seven times they sinned, seven times they were oppressed, and seven times God sent a judge for deliverance, to deliver them when they finally cried out in anguish and repentance. If you lie between the borders, the feathers of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with brilliant gold. The, the spoils that they would take would sustain them, that Yahweh had given to them, that Elohim had given, that Adonai had given them this, these, these victories over kings, and they would take spoils and those would include uh, things that were covered with silver and, and with gold. When the Almighty, now there, you see, uh, it's a side reference to the one who is called in other, otherwise the Most High, El Elyon, but here he's called the Almighty. Spreads out for kings therein, it'll become as white as snow in darkness. You cannot, no, when, uh, when the determination is made from heaven that Yahweh will deliver his people, there's, there's no hiding. The enemy cannot, cannot hide. It will be as, as Adonai wills it to be. Carrying the Ark of the Covenant, thinking of the presence of God. The next stanza is that God's people would certainly reflect on the meaning of God's holy mountain. The mountain of Elohim is the mountain of Bashan. The mountain of peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you lurk, you lofty mountains? For the mountain that Elohim desired for his dwelling, even Adonai will dwell there forever. Elohim's chariot is twice 10,000 times thousands of angels. Adonai was among them at Sinai in his holiness. So now the choice is made that it will be from Sinai to Zion. You ascended on high. You took captives. You took gifts to be among men and also rebellious ones 
for the Lord God, Yah Elohim, to dwell. So we're talking about the mountain of God where finally the Ark of the Covenant will come to rest uh, for the Israelites in that time in their history. Now in the New Testament, Paul takes this little portion of scripture here, a couple of verses, and references the ascension of Christ and paints the picture of, of the ascension of Christ and how, how the victory of Elohim here is seen as something that is, that is provided from heaven and the charioted angels, though invisible to people and yet still there, to provide strength and power always for his people, whatever they need, that same thought then by the inspired apostle Paul is brought back over to the book of Ephesians and it talks about carrying captives captive. Now here it speaks of a warfare whereby the people of God, well, God himself through his people will come in and take enemies as captive and they were captive in the loss of the battle and they're carried away as captives. You ascended on high, you took captives. You took gifts to be among men. Now the inspired apostle Paul uh, changes in the Greek what here in the Hebrew is you took gifts and Paul in Ephesians changes it a little bit to say that you, you dispensed gifts to be among men. And so he, he goes on then in the, in the greater context of all that. And he talks about, um, he gave some as apostles and some as, and so forth. So, so here, the captives and the booty of the battle are taken and the rebellious ones, and they would have been enslaved and they would have served in the economy of Israel for Yahweh, for the Lord God uh, to dwell. And in the, in the New Testament then, there is developed for us from Paul's inspired account here of bringing this from the Old into the New Testament. And if you add to it what is said in Acts chapter one, you have this very intriguing uh, picture of the ascension of Christ, emblepo. That there's a Greek phrase in the book of Acts there, uh, gazing. Why the two men in dazzling apparel? Why do you stand here gazing? And the Greek the Greek phrase is like a deer in headlights or something. You know, just stunned, and the eyes are fixed. And the mouth has dropped open and you just are looking at something that you can't fathom. This is the ascension of Christ. So the picture of the ascension of Christ, Christ was lifted up, Acts chapter 1, eperthe, which means to be, not to, defy, not to defy gravity. It's not that he's flying like Superman, although he did. 
The word means that he is lifted up in exaltation. He's lifted up. Uh, in Isaiah, the prophet says in the Hebrew, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw. Uh, the, the word means that he's greatly exalted. So they are looking, you remember Christ, well, we'll get to it, God willing, one of these days in John 17, he prays and he asks the Father to restore the glory that was his from before the time of the world, before the world ever was. Paul writes to the Philippians and he talks about how Christ laid that glory aside and didn't think anything about it so that he might become a man and die an ignominious death on the cross. Now, we consider all of this in the ascension, except for the brief moment of the Mount of Transfiguration experience, his disciples, nor any of his people, had ever really understood that the glory of God was his. Now, if you put Acts together and you reverse what Philippians says, and then you add to that Ephesians, which is Paul's take for the New Testament, out of this portion of the Old Testament, you have Christ who begins to ascend through chariots, walls of charioted angels. The glory is, it just can't be imagined. And as he begins to ascend the glory that was his from before the foundation of the world now comes upon him. How is he described then when John describes him in the revelation? He has hair like wool and eyes like fire and feet like burnished bronze. And the belt that he wore is brighter than the sun itself. And he was he was, the, he was the physical presence of the mighty God for his people to see. And this is the glory of God, the son that is restored to him. And this is the eperthe, this is the lifted up that Isaiah saw and that those disciples saw in his ascension and in his ascension, like the victorious, like the victorious king like, like Israel would have understood that God provided for them in a spiritual sense, they wouldn't lose if God said they were going to win the battle. Then invisible to the people were the myriads of charioted angels there uh, for, the, for the sake of the glory of God and the people of God. Now that same thing transfers into the New Testament and Christ then is lifted up and his glory shines out and is irradiated, it radiates from him. And then there's that emblem, they, they're, they're gazing. Huh, what? They're gazing. Why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus that you see going away will come again in like manner or in like fashion. So this is the glorified son of God as they had not ever seen him except for the three and the brief glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now in the fullness of this glory, 
there appears then just there just appears walls of charioted angels as far as the eye can see. This is the picture that if we go back to the Old Testament, this is how God made sure that his people would win the battle. They couldn't see the angels who were there, but God had them on high alert. You ascended on high, took captives, took gifts to be among men and also rebellious ones for Yahulchim to dwell. So this is, this is a stanza from this particular psalm in the Old Testament. And the picture would be also, I would say, that, uh, that just, you know, there was a time, if you remember in Samuel, that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines. Well, I wasn't going to have them this time. Because God is pleased with the with the transference of the Ark of the Covenant from where it was to where David is going to take it. And there would have been chariots of angels, myriads of chariots of angels surrounding this event as well. So we go to the next stanza, salvation and judgment. In the presence of God, what do you think about? We've already talked about judgment, but you also think about salvation. Oh, that he would save me. Blessed is Adonai, there's his name again, master, sustainer, provider. Every day Elohim lavishes upon us our salvation, Silah, forever. And the word is Silah, which means, think about this, forever, think about this. Now, uh, our God, the God of our salvation, uh, Yahweh Adonai has the ways to death. Indeed, Elohim will wound his enemy's head, the hairy pate of him who goes with his guilt. Adonai said, I shall restore from Bashan, I shall restore from the depths of the sea in order that your foot may wade through blood. The tongue of your dogs will have its portion from the enemies. Now we're moving with regard to the eternal salvation of God's people, we're now moving also into uh, messianic terms. All of the enemies of God, well, let's back up from there. Think of all of the kingdoms who have opposed the will of God and the people of God throughout history. We can go all the way back to Egypt. Um, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's mentioned, it's talked about in the Revelation. All of these major kingdoms that have come against the will and purpose of God, even to the final one, which is a, a Gentile empire that is, that is uh, lorded over by the Antichrist, all of these things. And then in that battle of Armageddon, there is a description of blood that's unlike any battlefield ever known to man. Your foot may wade through blood. The tongue of your dogs will have its portion from the enemies. The enemies of God's people finally are defeated. Now God's people in certain generations will suffer. But as the remnant, they suffer with great spiritual strength. 
and there is a purpose for their suffering. But in the finality of it all, those who have made them suffer will collapse. That kingdom will collapse. That, that Gentile kingdom cannot stand. And then God has a purpose for the next one. And he raises up that kingdom to defeat this kingdom. And his people are transferred into this kingdom so that his purpose is in the way that he sees fit, strengthened and carried on. And this goes all the way through time until it all comes about. And this is our ultimate salvation, the God of our salvation. Our ultimate salvation finally is to be delivered from all of the wicked uh, kingdoms and the ways of this world and this earth and the, the kingdom to be established. And this is salvation. God, the next stanza, God's procession. They saw your ways, Elohim, the ways of Eli, of God, my king, in sanctity. Singers went first, minstrels afterwards, in the midst of maidens playing timbrels, in congregations. Bless the Lord God, bless Elohim Yahweh from the womb of Israel. Now this is Christ. This is Christ. And there Benjamin, the youngest, rules over them. And the princes of Judah pelt them with stones as do the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Now those three tribes in particular were the ones who helped Deborah and Barach in the time of, uh, of the judges. So you see, the procession of God then moves through the ways of the king, our king, capital K, set apart from all others in sanctity and the happiness that it all brings. And of course, this reference back again to the miraculous deliverance of Israel in the time of the judges under the leadership of Deborah and Barach. And then God's victory. Our God, your God has commanded your strength. Show this strength, Elohim, which you've wrought for us. From your temple, which is over Jerusalem. That's interesting because the temple had not been built yet. And we have been studying on Wednesday nights the spirit that God had placed upon David to prepare for the building of the temple. And this conviction from heaven in the heart of David the psalmist was so great that in his mind he could see the temple. He was responsible for putting the blueprints together, putting the material together. In his mind, in his heart, he knew from the time that he bought this property to which there moving the Ark of the Covenant. He saw it in his heart. It's a real thing to him. From your temple, which is over Jerusalem, kings will bring you tribute. Rebuke the people of the forest, the congregation of mighty bulls among people like calves, submitting himself for pieces of silver. He scatters peoples. They always desire battles. Gifts will be brought from Egypt. Cush will cause his hands to run to Elohim. There's a great thing that's coming for the temple. And 
People will bring tribute to it. Kings will come in the time of Solomon. And David, uh, David could, could see this and could know. You see, the whole thing is the greatness of God. Here is the presence of God. They're carrying, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant to the temple, what will be the Temple Mount. And all you can think about in, in anything, in, in any vein of life, all one could think about is the greatness of God in anything and the praiseworthiness of God. So again, finally, a call to praise. When you think about all of it and put it all together, kingdoms of the earth. Now this is, you see, this carries us right to the millennium and to the new heaven and new earth. Kingdoms of the earth, sing to Elohim. Sing praises to Adonai forever. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens of old. Behold, he gives forth with his voice a voice of strength. Attribute strength to Elohim over Israel is his pride and his strength is in the skies. God has always and finally in the last time will place a big exclamation point regarding his sovereignty because of how he has dealt with Israel through the ages among the nations. Well, you see, they are his strength. They're his pride. You are feared, Elohim, from your sanctuary. God of Israel, El Yitzrael, he gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be Elohim. Israel at her strongest were in those times where there was godly leadership and there was a focus on the worship of the God of heaven and an acknowledgement of how they were especially chosen by God to reveal the true and living God to the world. He gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be Elohim. Let's pray together. We'll be dismissed tonight. Father God in heaven, Lord, we are in awe of who you are. You are our king and our Lord. We're so thankful that in the course of our lives and in our generation, you have called us out to be your own. That you've guided us and protected us even when we didn't deserve it. That you've cared for us and sustained us and even disciplined us when we needed it. And so like those in that day, we are stricken to our knees in reverence and our hearts are lifted up in praise as we consider you and all that you are for us. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.